last number of days as we watch things unfold in Paris and uh, um, the kind of violence, the kind of things that bring fear into our lives and uh, remind us that the world is broken. And as I was thinking about this spring, I decided to preach through the book of First, Pre- uh, First Peter that we'll start this morning. And it's a, book, it's a book about living in a broken world. It's about, uh, it's about being Christian. It's about seeking to follow Jesus under difficult times. And we think these are difficult times and there are ways that we see our world changing as we are more globalized and as we see more of this stuff and we think the world is changing and getting worse and getting scarier in some ways and the reality is, as Peter is writing, it was just as scary for them as it is for us. And things were as hard as they lived under the Roman Empire and, uh, and suffered many things. And Peter, who wrote this book, ended up being executed by the government uh, under which he lived. So it's not new in that respect, and Peter writes to us out of his own experience and out of his his own walk with Jesus about what it looks like to follow Jesus in a broken world. And this morning we're going to start by taking a look at Peter himself as we come to the text. Um, It's easy to jump past the initial greeting that's there, and I'm going to to read verses 1 and 2, but I'm really just going to talk about the first half of verse 1, really the first third. I'm just going to talk about Peter. Peter, an apostle, hear then the word of God. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. To those who are elect exiles of the, dis- uh, of the dispersion in Pontus and Galatia and Cappadocia and Asia and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ, and for a sprinkling with His blood, grace and peace be multiplied to you. Pray with me. Father in heaven, as we come to you this morning in your word, it is you to whom we come. It is your voice that we long to hear. It is your life that we long to experience. It is your grace that must transform us. It is your power that must invade our lives and cause us to know and love you and be like Jesus. So as we come and sit at your feet this morning, would you have your way with us and speak to us and give us ears that hear and eyes that see, for it is in Jesus' name that we ask. Amen. You know, as you read a book like 1 Peter, it's easy to read the information and to read, you know, the different ideas and the things that he says without remembering who Peter is and where he comes from. And sometimes I think it is really helpful to remember who it is that writes about suffering and struggle and following Jesus and doing the things that he calls us to do and to remember the life out of which that teaching comes, the Apostle Peter. See, most of us are ordinary people like Peter. We're struggling and imperfect and growing in our relationship with Christ. But it's not a straight, you know, uh, meteoric rise. It's not just this steady upward go that that we would love to see. See, I would love to be better tomorrow than today and the next day and to just press on and, and see this continual, steady, unbroken growth and maturity. But what I find is I take three steps forward and I have taken two steps back. And I take four steps forward and I take two steps back and then I take two more steps back and then I take three more forward. You know, we have love and passion for Christ 
And we strive to follow him faithfully. But the truth is, our lives are a mixed bag. At least my life is a mixed bag. I don't know about yours. It's a little bit messy if you get on the inside of things around, around me. There are fits and there are starts. And I think I'm getting somewhere and then I blow it. And then I say something and I do something or I make decisions or, you know, and on and on the list goes. I get a few things right and then I get a bunch of things wrong. And sometimes I feel like more like I'm stumbling after Jesus than running after Jesus. Try as I might. And so the story of Peter, actually, I believe the story of Peter is God's gift to stumbling sinners. That he gives us a glimpse of what it looks like to follow him. Peter was a guy who didn't just have the Bible and, and, and seek to follow Christ. Peter walked with Jesus in some ways that we'll look at that are just you know, astounding. And yet God shows us how Peter stumbles and strives and struggles and sinks and we love Jesus but we struggle and the quote the first quote that you have there in your bulletin under the introduction is a quote that you've seen before from me I give it to you again because it's it's one of those in fact as we are sharing we're in the middle of a uh, HPC 101 weekend where we're we're meeting with some new folks and we shared our stories on Friday night we do dinner and share our stories a little bit my wife my wife mentioned this book by Brennan Manning, which is the Ragamuffin Gospel. And, uh, and it's because it had a, a powerful impact on, on her life, her spiritual life, as well as my own. Uh, because Brennan Manning was a man who struggled with alcoholism, and he struggled with different things. He was a Catholic priest, and, you know, he had all these, and he, and he came to struggle with what it, what it looks like to follow Jesus when you have things that beset your every step as you try to do it. And so he writes this, though, in his book, The Ragamuffin Gospel. It's a gospel for ragamuffins, for people. I don't know if you, um, um, no, I'm not going to go there. So there it is in your, in, your, in your bulletin. Brendan Manning, he writes this. He says, the gospel is not for the super spiritual. Jesus didn't come for the well. He came for the sick. Right? It's not for the muscular Christians who've made John Wayne and not Jesus their hero. Right? It's not for alleluia Christians who only live on the mountaintop and who have never really visited the valley of desolation. Right? It's not for the fearless and the tearless. It's not for the red-hot zealots who boast with the rich young ruler. All these commandments have I kept from my youth. It is not for the complacent who hoist on their shoulders a tote bag of honors and diplomas and good works, actually believing that they have it made. It is not for legalists who would rather surrender control of their souls to rules than to run the risk of living in union with Jesus. No, the gospel is for the bedraggled. It's for the beat up and the burnout. It is for the sorely burdened who are shifting their heavy suitcase, their heavy burden from one hand to the other. It's for the wobbly and the weak need who know that they don't have it all together. It's for the inconsistent and the unsteady disciples whose cheese keeps falling off their cracker. It is for the poor and the weak and the sinful men and women. It is for earthen vessels who shuffle along on feet of clay. And I know that that is true because it describes Peter perfectly. He was not the super spiritual. He was not the guy on the mountaintop all the time. It was not for the tier list or for the guy who had all the commandments ever since his youth. It was not for a guy who didn't struggle. And Peter was burned up and beat out after Jesus' death on the cross. He goes back to fishing and he quits. Jesus has to go find him in his boat again. 
and pull him out. He was wobbly and weak-kneed. Jesus asks him to come and pray with him in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he's falling asleep, and he's, you know, he's not there. He's a little, he doesn't have it all together. In one moment, he is saying, you're the Christ, and the next moment, he tells Jesus, don't go to the cross, right? And, and here's a guy who gets it right and gets it wrong. He gets it right, he gets it wrong. He's inconsistent, and every time you think Peter's got it going together, his cheese falls off his cracker. You know, he's just that kind of a guy. He's just a man. He has feet of clay. He struggles. So let's look at him. He's a, you know, this guy, Peter, he was a fisherman. And then from a fisherman, he became a disciple. And from a disciple, he became an apostle. And as an apostle, he became the rock. And yet he is just a guy with feet of clay who struggles along. He's this fisherman. He's a blue-collar worker. He works with his hands. You know, he works outside in the sun with his hands. He's a tradesman. He didn't go to college. He didn't have much education. Didn't finish high school. You know, they didn't quite do it that way. But, you know, and that's it. He didn't finish high school. He, he's, a, he's, a, he's a laborer. He, he's not educated like Paul. Paul sat under Gamaliel and was a highly educated man. Peter, not so much, right? The point is, the guy who wrote this book, inspired by God, apostle of Christ, the rock of the church. He's just a regular guy. He's just an ordinary guy, a blue-collar worker who God got his hands on, clearly intelligent, but a regular guy. He made an honest, hard-working living, handling smelly fish under the hot sun. I don't know what he did to get himself before he went home to his wife. We know he was married, you know, after handling fish all day in the sun. Um, Good luck with that. But Jesus came to him. And Jesus told him, he didn't ask him, but he told him, follow me. And I'm going to make you a fisher of men. Right? Jesus calls him, chooses him. And Peter does not then come from an ivory tower, but off the lake and out of his boat. And he becomes a disciple. So Peter becomes, from a fisherman, a blue-collar worker, becomes a disciple of Jesus, a follower of this guy who tells him what he's going to do. Leave your nets and follow me. And he puts his faith and his trust in this Christ as a devoted follower. And he begins to follow Jesus. Right, in Luke chapter 5, verse 8, when he's telling about the encounter when Jesus comes to him on the boat and he has this miraculous catch of fish and we're told that Peter falls on his knees at Jesus' feet and he says, depart from me, Lord, because I'm a sinful man. Right? And so Jesus brings him to his knees. And here, here he becomes one who calls him Lord and confesses his sins and then gets up and follows Jesus. And in Luke 5.11, a few verses later, it says he left everything and he followed him. Right? He devoted himself. Right? He left his business, lost his business and became a, a devoted follower of Jesus, learning from him and, and participating with him in his mission. Peter the fisherman becomes a disciple of Jesus. Like many of us, whatever our trade is, whatever we were doing, many of us had the same encounter, dropped to our knees and became followers of this one. But, but he also becomes an apostle. It's not long into his, his following of Jesus when he starts to gather a crowd around him and as they move about, the crowd becomes bigger and bigger. And it's not long into that that Jesus makes a change, and he takes a night, and he says, I'm, I'm, you know, he takes a night, and he goes off onto a mountain alone and prays, and he chooses a group of apostles, 
And this is different, and it's more than simply being a disciple. Something unique went on there in your bulletin under that first point. You see Luke chapter 6, it says this, All night he continued in prayer to God. And when the day came, he called his disciples together, and from among them he chose twelve, and he named them apostles. So Jesus wrestles in prayer overnight. He spends time with God, seeking his wisdom and his grace and his leading. And, and in the morning, he calls the, the larger group of disciples together. And of them, he says he appoints 12 and he names them. So he chooses them and he names them and he names them apostles. And Peter is one of these guys who becomes a leader. He becomes an apostle. It's a unique word. has a unique role. It has that general meaning, most of you know, that the word apostle, apostle, you know, from the Greek is apostello, is the word to send, and if you turn it into a noun, you become a sent one, and it's a general word, that that word to send out is a general word, and the word apostle, the one who is sent, can become a messenger or a witness or, uh, or an ambassador, and Jesus turns it into an office in the sense that he calls from among the many disciples, 12 apostles, he calls them apostles, names them apostles. Verse Mark three fourteen and 15 there it says, he appointed 12 whom he also named apostles. So they're appointed, chosen, named so that they might be with him. And he might send them out to preach and to have authority and to cast out demons. In another place it says, and to heal diseases. In other words, it says he he chooses them, he names them as apostles, and he gives them unique power and authority. Right? It says so that they would be with him in a way that the rest weren't. And as you read the Gospels, the twelve are with Jesus in a way that the rest of the disciples are not. And the three are with Jesus in the way the rest of the twelve aren't. If you don't know that, Peter, James, and John became this little inner circle that went places with Jesus that others didn't go. And he gives them this unique authority to preach and to cast out demons and to heal as part of their office, as leaders of the larger disciples following Christ. But in the midst of that, Jesus takes one and he names Peter the rock. It's really a unique event in the life of the church and in the life of, certainly in Peter's life, because Peter's name was actually Simon, and if you see the lists out there, it's actually, this guy's name is Simon, and Simon is the, is, is the one following Jesus up until the middle of the ministry, about halfway through his walk with Jesus on uh, those three years on the earth. And in the middle of that, Jesus is, is taking the pulse of, you know, the, the things that are going out there. And he asks them, who is everybody say that I am? And they think you're John the Baptist. They think you're Isaiah. They think you're Elijah. They think, and Jesus says, who do you think that I am? And Peter, Peter does what Peter always does, which is answer first. And this is once where he didn't put his foot in his mouth. He said, you are the Christ and you are the son of the living God. And Jesus' answer is, Peter, you didn't think this up on your own. You know, you're not so smart. The Father has revealed this to you. And it is on this rock of your confession. That confession is the gospel, right? He is the Christ. He is the Savior. He is the one we've been waiting for, the one God was going to send. He is going to be the one to save us and to save Israel, to save God's people, right? He is the Christ and he is the Son of the living God. He's not just any old Joe. He is God's Son, and Savior. This is the gospel. It's the heart of 
that the, that the church is built on that confession, who Jesus is and what he has done. And Jesus says, you, Peter, who have been given this understanding and insight by God himself, we are, we're getting somewhere now. Thou art Peter, Petros. You are simply the Greek word for rock, Petros. The Aramaic word is Cephas. Uh, so sometimes he's actually Cephas in there when they're using the Aramaic. So he becomes Simon Peter, Simon the Rock. Would you like to be called the Rock? Isn't there an actor named like the Rock? Everybody would like to, anybody would like to be the Rock. He makes a confession. He puts his finger on the heart of the gospel. And he becomes the fisherman disciple who's an apostle and the rock on which Christ is going to build his church. But even after all of this, and even after he's given authority and power that was described a minute ago to preach and to perform miracles and to heal, we see this guy is a fallible and growing man. He did not have some rise. He didn't have some you know, spiritual experience that catapulted him to a higher plane of spiritual living. I know that for a while it was a teaching that I was receiving. You need to have this experience because when you have this experience, it's like a catapult. You know, it shoots you up and above all your problems and struggles and sin. And, you know, and up here on this higher spiritual plane of experience, you know, you just don't deal with those things. You know, I, one of the reasons I don't go there is I just haven't experienced that yet. I'm, I'm still stumbling in, in the same general direction, but it has not been a meteoric rise. And for Peter, it wasn't either. Peter, I take great comfort that after he was named an apostle in the rock, that he still said stupid things, and he still made stupid decisions, and he still stumbled and fell, and he still sank beneath the waves, and he still had all these things that went on with him. It takes comfort for me because after I've been named and ordained as a pastor, I'm still a fallible and growing man. Right? I'm still stumbling in the same general direction. People like Peter, people like Peter, you know, because we see his humanity so much more clearly than we do in other people in the scripture. Part of it is because we know more about him. If you read, there were 12 apostles. If we had to took a quiz right now and I had everybody write down the 12 apostles' names, I bet half of us couldn't do it. I would struggle to do it. There, you know, Bartholomew, and uh, you know, and I know, you know, there's twelve. There's twelve: Peter, James, John. You know, but Peter. There are so many stories about Peter. You know, John. You know, Peter, James, and John. How many stories about James do you know? Or how about John? I know John is a disciple that Jesus loved. That's about all I know about John. You know, I mean, those other than the Isle of Patmos. I mean, there's stuff. But you know what I'm saying? That Peter, there's just this plethora of stories. Like, Peter was that guy that everything he did, you, like, wrote it down. Like, here we go again. You know, Peter's out there. We see his humanity. His feet of clay is so apparent because his cheese keeps falling off his cracker. There's so many Peter incidences. God's grace gives us a deeper glimpse into this man called Peter, his faults, his foibles, and his idiosyncrasies. We see him soar, and we see him sink. Right? We see him struggle. We see him succeed, and we see him fail. We see victories and defeats. Peter's a know-it-all. Right? He was the guy, whenever Jesus had a question for the crowd, and it didn't matter how big the crowd was, whenever, Peter had, whenever Jesus had a question, Peter was the first guy to answer. And he always had an answer. He's always running out there. There's one of those sometimes small groups. There's that guy who always has, he's the first one to answer. 
You know, Peter's this guy. He's always the one who thinks he knows. He thinks he knows. Let me tell you. I think I know. He's a risk taker. Sees Jesus on the water. He says, let me come to you on the water. Right? It's only Peter that gets out of the boat. It's only Peter that takes the risk. It's only Peter that asks. You know, Peter's the guy who puts himself out there, and it's also only Peter that sinks in the water and has to be saved. You know, but, but, but because he's the guy who got out, he's overconfident. He tells, he tells Jesus, even if everybody else abandons you, not me, I'll never abandon you. And then the very next day, he denies him three times and pretends he doesn't even know him. It's at the Last Supper that he tells Jesus, you're never going to wash my feet. And he literally says it like that. Jesus tells him, all right, then you're fired. And he's like, wait, 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 you can wash my head, you can wash my hands, you can wash, you like, you know, he's, this, you know, he's just the one, he goes over here, you're never, you know, tells the Lord Jesus what he's going to do and what he's not going to do, you know. And then he repents because he doesn't want to get fired, and he's like, all right, do whatever you want, in fact, do more, you know, like... At Gethsemane, Jesus calls, like I said, there are three places, really, that, that records that he takes three, Peter, James, and John, the inner three, that he doesn't take everybody else. Right? He takes them onto the Mount of Transfiguration. Only Peter, James, and John went with him. Only Peter, James, and John saw him transfigured in all of his glory. And it's Peter who wants to build tents and, you know, make camp, and, you know, we're going to, you know, it's Peter who jips out there. I got a plan, Lord. <laughs> I know how to do this. It's Peter, James, and John that he takes in when he raises Jairus' daughter from the dead. It's just those three guys. Peter's one of the three who gets to stand there as Jesus literally raises somebody from the dead. It's Peter, James, and John that are invited to go with him into the inner sanctum of Gethsemane on that night that he was betrayed and he goes to, to, to plead with God. And it says he went at least three times he goes to pray, He's sweating blood, and he leaves the twelve and he takes Peter, James, and John and he asks them, will you watch with me, will you pray with me? Because this is a rough night. Next thing you know, Peter's sleeping. Sawn logs. You hear him. Jesus comes back. Can you not watch with me one hour? I mean, here's this apostle, the rock of the church, sleeping when Jesus needs him. Denying him the next day. Right? One minute he's he's pulling his sword. I will defend you to the death and cutting people's ears off. And the very next day he's like, who? Jesus who? He's the first one to the empty tomb, but not long after, he quits and goes back to fishing. It's Peter that preaches the first great sermon at Pentecost, and who's full of the Spirit, and he and preaches that great sermon explaining exactly what's going on at Pentecost. Two chapters later, it's Peter who stands before the Sanhedrin, the religious elite and power of the day, and who stands in their face and preaches to them, the same group of people who saw to the execution and crucifixion of Jesus. And here's Peter to their face preaching and saying, I can't help it. They said, stop it. And they said, no. You go, Peter. (laughs) And then later, as Paul writes, you see, this is under your uh, second point, um, Galatians chapter 2, verses 7, 11, and 15. Oh, wait, I didn't put that in there. Never mind. I have the reference here. And in Galatians chapter 2, Paul mentions Peter. 
And he mentions him in two lights, and it's the same thing with Peter. You usually get, you know, Peter walking on the water, Peter sinking in the water. Peter saying, I'll never forsake you, and Peter denying Jesus. You know, Peter saying, you are the Christ, and Peter saying, no, you're not going to the cross. You know, Peter, you got Peter mentioned by Paul in Galatians 2, and the first thing Paul says about Peter is that he is an apostle to the Jews. Right? He's one of the leaders of the Christian church. He is one of the, you know, the core that is going on. And so Paul mentions him as, I am an apostle to the Gentile. Peter, he's the apostle to the Jews. Like he's, my, he's, the, he's the yin to my yang. He's the, you know, he's the other one. As I go this way, he goes that way as, as the corresponding leader and evangelist in the establishment of the New Testament church. And the very next thing he says in verses 11 to 15 is, I had to confront Peter to his face. Peter, you know, had come and he was, he was having, you know, fellowship with the whole church. And at some point, some, some Jews came, some Jewish converts came and said, you shouldn't be eating with Gentile converts. You shouldn't be eating with these guys. And so Peter withdraws and he begins to disfellowship and to stop having fellowship with Gentile believers and starts isolating, causing division in the church. And Paul says, I had to confront him to his face. Tell him you're wrong. This is not the gospel. Right? And segregating the church like this. And so he rebukes Peter. Here's Peter at the height of his ministry as a leader in the church making really poor decisions, being led astray and causing some division in the church because of what he's doing to the point where other leaders in the church have to confront him and tell him to cut it out. And this is Peter. This is the same Peter who in, I think it's Acts 10, who gets the vision of the sheet. Remember, the sheet comes down, is full of animals. God says, kill, eat, it happens. And the whole point of it is, I'm sending you to Cornelius, who is a Gentile. The whole point of it is, what God has declared clean, you should not declare unclean. If I say it's clean, it's clean. And then he says, go to Cornelius, go to the Gentiles. And the whole moral of that whole thing, a vision from God, was that he's including the Gentiles. St. Peter has to be rebuked sometime later for excluding the Gentiles. What is wrong with this guy? I like him. (laughs) Because he's a lot like me. Peter is amazing in dramatic highs and lows. He walks on water and then he gets distracted and he sinks in the waves. It's a story of my life. You know, Peter clearly is one of the most important leaders in the history of the church. But the Bible portrays him not as some legendary hero that we think abides on Mount Olympus and is some, but presents him as just a regular Joe, a real person, someone who struggles like you and I. But this is the deal. God uses ordinary people. So if your cheese keeps falling off your crackers, I got good news for you, right? God uses those kind of people. He draws straight lines with crooked sticks, right? We are he, with people with feet of clay, but in, the, in this vessel that is feet of clay, there is a treasure of the gospel and the presence and the power of his spirit to accomplish amazing and mighty things because he builds his church and, and he is the one who does these things. And he says, but I will use you. He calls us from wherever we are, stumbling and unschooled fishermen, people like you and I who are bundles of contradictions and 
Because many of us will hang back. <clears throat> and I know I hear this from time to time, you know, we'll hang back. I'm just a regular Joe. You know, I don't, you know, I just, you know, I work a regular job. I'm just, you know, with all this. I'm like, oh, that was Peter. You know, that was, that was most of these guys. You know what? That's most of us. What do you think I did before? You know, you know, I do. You know, God just taps. He chooses. He says, I chose you. You didn't choose me. And I chose you and I will empower you. I'm going to say, oh, I haven't been to seminary. You know, I'm, I just, you know, neither did Peter. Chosen by Jesus who was always with him. He was just an ordinary person who was not afraid to risk, who was not afraid to fail, who was not afraid to put himself out there. And it's a call for us as ordinary people that we, to not be afraid to risk, to not be afraid to step out there. You know what? You probably will fail along the way. And enough of you have been here long enough, with me who have been here long enough, that you know that I fail along the way. You know? and, but if you, if you, we have to have the freedom to fail in order to press hard after Jesus, to stumble in the right direction. What Peter had was a reckless enthusiasm to be near Jesus. Whatever Jesus was doing, that's what Peter wanted to be doing. Wherever Jesus was going, that's where Peter wanted to be going. If he was out walking on the water, Peter wanted to go out and walk on the water. He didn't really know what he was doing. He doesn't really have the power to make it work. All he knows is if Jesus is doing it, that's where he wants to be. Right on his heels. Right beside him. Doing whatever he is doing. And so he risked and he looked foolish at times. Sometimes he is the butt of our jokes. We laugh at Peter. You know, we laugh at him. Hopefully it's a nervous laughter like you see ourselves in him. But we do. We laugh at Peter because at times he does look foolish. This guy walks on water and witnesses the raising of the dead who is an apostle of Christ and who Jesus personally called and touched and walked with him and said, I call you just so that you can walk with me, so you can be with me, so that you can, you know, know me, so that you can have the, be in my inner circle with me. Not that Peter was anything. What I'm saying is a couple things. One is that Peter, following Jesus is not a sterile process. It is messy. So if it's a little messy out there, it's all right. Following Jesus is a little bit messy. It's risky. It's dangerous. It's hard. We will stumble. We will fail. And we will get up and follow hard after Jesus. Peter's spiritual growth came through the fire. It came through his failure. Peter was the man and was used the way he was because he was out there. We know so much about him because he was out there, because he stepped out of the boat, because he opened his mouth and he tried and he strived and he pursued and walked as close as he could with Jesus. And this refining went on throughout his life. He did grow and he did mature. But even late in his ministry, this episode with Paul and the Gentile believers tell me that we don't put down our guard and and in some ways it's okay been a pastor for how many years, and next year I might make a really stupid decision, and it might cause some problems. But it comforts me to know that Simon the Rock did it too. And Jesus still used him mightily. And we're going to study some of the fruit of that work of Jesus in his life. And see, the wonderful thing about Peter is not Peter. Right, and you know that. The wonderful thing about Peter is Peter's Lord. The wonderful thing about Peter is Peter's Savior. The guy who put up with Peter. 
Right? The guy who loved him despite all of that junk. What? All right, come here, Peter. You know, you know he doesn't, he never gets fired. You'd think the guy would have gotten fired, but he doesn't get fired. And it's not because Peter succeeded, but because his Savior loved him. Jesus chose him and loved him and sanctified him and used him in ministry. You who did not choose me, I chose you to go and to bear fruit, and I will make sure that you become fruitful, despite, despite you. <laughs> you know, despite your faults and your foibles and your failures and your character weaknesses. And this gives me confidence. It gives us confidence because we not only see Peter fail, we see Peter restored. Jesus not only bears with his faults and foibles and failures, his inconsistencies, he pursues him. He goes back to fishing, and Jesus goes and finds him, calls him out of the boat again, and Peter jumps out of the boat and swims, like, you know, so Peter. And he goes and pursues him, and he forgives him, even after denying him, not once, not twice, not, but three times after promising he wouldn't. And he forgives him, and he restores him. And he tells him, Peter, Satan wants to sift you like wheat, brother. You would go down. But here's the thing. I'm praying for you. I have prayed for you, that you would not fall. Sifted though you might be, you will stand, and you will be restored, and you will be useful to me. You are still my apostle. Jesus preserves him and protects him through his own intercession. He rebukes him when he needs it. He lifts him up when he's sinking. He prays for him when he's tempted, and he always pursues him, and he always loves him. As we read and study Peter's letter, I want us to remember who he is and what he's been through and how he has grown and how he saw Jesus transfigured into glory and how he saw a dead girl raised to life and how he walked on water and how he walked with Jesus and was in that inner circle and got to hear and to see. I also want us to remember how he denied Jesus, how he started to sink beneath the waves, how he told Jesus not to go to the cross. Right? How, he, how he stumbles and fails and gets it wrong and how he soared and how he sank and how Jesus preserved him and forgave him and restored him and never forsook him and how through the fire of all that stuff he sanctifies him and he makes him more and more the man that he wants him to be. Through the fire, not around it, not some momentary experience, Day by day, stumbling in the right direction. Second Corinthians 1.9, it's here in your bulletin. It says, we have felt, this is Paul writing, we have felt that we had received the very sentence of death in ourselves. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on the God who raises the dead. You know, I believe that's why God lets us feel that we've received the sentence of death? How many times did Peter feel like a fool or feel like he blew it or feel like he... How many times do you feel like you've done... You know, that it, I've blown it again. And he says, you know, he, he led us to feel very low and to reach the bottom. Why, he says. There's a purpose in that. God is still there. He's not left you. He's not forsaken you. He never will. It says he's done this to teach you to rely not on yourself, which is what you will do unless he intervenes and breaks us of our self-reliance and our pride, but so that we will rely on the God who raises the dead. 
See, the wonderful thing about Peter is not Peter, but it's his, his Christ who rises from the dead and his God who raises the dead and who uses people like us and wants to remind us again and again, it's not about you, you will fail. But I raise the dead and cause people to walk on water. So my friends, do not hang back in fear. Not be afraid of failure. Do not be afraid to risk. Do not be afraid to get up and go. Do not be afraid to put yourself. Peter put himself out there. He was all for Jesus. Sometimes he blew it. and When Peter blew it, he usually blew it big. But when we do that, my friends, sometimes you and I will fail. Sometimes we will walk on water. But I can guarantee you we won't if we don't put ourselves out there. So as we seek to follow Jesus, Peter is the kind of guy we don't mind following. Not to excuse our sin or our foolishness or our failures, but to encourage us to press on in spite of them. It surprises me what a mess up I can be, but it does not surprise him. Jesus never fires him, never lets him go. So let us put ourselves out there. Let us take risks. Let us stumble after Jesus. He will not let you sink. He will not let you fall. Though Satan sift you like wheat, he is your Savior. Pray with me. Father in heaven, as we come this morning, we thank you for telling us the truth about Peter, about letting us have a glimpse into the life of one of these apostles and to see that they have feet of clay like us. But I pray, Father, in this glimpse we would know that we do not trust in our feet of clay, in ourselves or anything that we have or can do or have to offer. But we rely on a wonderful Savior who calls us and loves us and is patient with us, who sanctifies us, who lifts us, preserves us, and will use us. Father, help us to take risks. Help us to put ourselves out there that we might be useful in your hands. For these things we ask and pray in Jesus' name. Amen.